Remembering the things you heard last you were here, your curiosity once again leads you to the house. You find your way, easier this time, through the house and to its upper room. You know what you seek, and as you crack the attic door and the stairs trail the purple glow, the monsters invite you to sit at the table and listen with them, here in the dark attic. Welcome, everybody, back to The Dark Attic. We are so happy to have you here for our official episode one. I know we had our trailer. We had episode zero. Um, That was kind of our introduction, saying hi. But we are here with episode one. We are so glad you guys have decided to either join us or come back. Uh, We have some friends over from the guild with us. We have uh, Moray and Red Ghoul. They're just kind of hanging out, listening in. If you guys want to be a part of that community, the Discord link is in the description of this podcast, or you can always look it up uh, by typing bit.ly, the Lambs Guild, capital T, L, and G. But you can always come hang out with us there. We're active outside of the podcast, but we have a great topic. I am here with my co-hosts, Kellen and Matthew. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hey, everybody. And we are, we're going to be talking about a really awesome, probably very controversial topic. Uh, when we first had this conversation just amongst ourselves, there were some ideas that we were challenging each other with, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think I was the one mostly doing the challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to uh, not redo the conversation we're just going to continue that conversation and bring some of our friends along for the ride we're gonna bring them into that conversation kind of go over what we had thought about the question and by this point you've clicked on the episode and you know what the question is is god a monster and at first glance a lot of you might be like no like what are you talking about of course god's not a monster but that's what we're trying to push against or, or you're like me, and you're like, yes, absolutely. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're gonna be we're gonna be uh, you know coming against those two perspectives, maybe even offering a third perspective, a different perspective, a more encouraging, edifying perspective, maybe. Uh, so stick around, find out. Uh, but let's just jump right into it. Is God a monster? As with anything on this podcast, language is our weapon, and we want to use that weapon and sharpen that weapon daily. So to do that properly, we need to define monster before we can start talking about is God a monster, because we have a whole conversation about is God a monster, and if nobody knows what our definition of monster is, it's going to be nothing. We talked briefly about it. We had like a short 10-minute conversation on that in episode zero. So go ahead and listen to that if you haven't, but let's get into it now. Um, Matthew, I want to hear from you. What is your definition of monster? What's society's definition of monster? And let's uh, discuss what our definitions are and kind of have a back and forth on that. Before we do that, I think it would be fun if we each gave a one-word answer to the question to build suspense and anticipation. And then maybe we can change our mind. Sure. So my one word answer is it depends on your perspective, which is not a one word answer. That's not <laughs> so my one word answer, answer is literally maybe. not one word. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Kellen? I mean <sighs> one word. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Mine would be yes. Two yeses and a maybe. All right. Yeah. Well, actually, an absolutely a yes and a maybe. <laughs> an, an absolute. Oh, yeah. Okay. But, no, I think absolutely and yes come out to the same thing. Okay. So I'm going first. So I'll start with monster, and then I think we have to follow up, and I, we also have to define God at least very briefly. It's like oh, no one ever does this. So what is a monster? So. I think about it from this 
I call it an archaic worldview that I picked up from reading and, and, and various podcasts and other sources. So the, the, the way this works is to imagine reality as like a pyramid or a cone, I like a cone better. This may sound weird at first. So imagine reality, well, rather just imagine a cone with, with a pointed up and then another cone attached to it at the base. So the two bases are attached to each other. One point, one point is up, one point is down. You can also think of them as mountains. Uh, and the, the very top, at the very top, that's, in some sense, that point is God. It's sort of the bottom two, but <laughs> this is a really weird way to describe it. And the center, so with a cone, you have a top and you have a center. And that, that point at the top is your reference point for everything. It's the defining point of all reality. All reality sort of radiates down from it, like it's the sun. In the spiritual sense, it's like radiating down from the, from the top. But it's also, they also have reality coming up from the bottom. So it's like heaven from the top, matter from the bottom. So it's like the bottom up is like, it is the being of God. It is the, the water of creation from which from the top of the pyramid he calls down to the depth and draws out the world. So the world is sort of the interaction of God as the, the pattern of all being interacting with raw potential itself in some sense, which is God too. So it's, so it's spirit interacting with raw being. And so you get this world defined by God as the reference point of everything. And so in this, in this way, God is the center and the top. And in, in an esoteric way, also the bottom. But mostly I think of him as the center and the top. So a monster is sort of anything at the edge, the edge of the world. So this would be the outside perimeter of the base of the cone. And the closer you are to the center, the more you are conforming very precisely, very precisely to the nature of God. So like that which is on the outside is sort of far from God. This also corresponds to the idea of being poor in spirit. So those who are poor in spirit are those who are near the base of the cone. Because as you go up toward heaven, you have more spirit. You're more, you know, sort of more perfectly in the presence of God, more perfectly embodying him. It's like the story of the transfiguration. Like Jesus goes up the mountain and he and the, the three Apostles go with, who go with him get to see him like most perfectly manifesting his divine glory there with Moses and Elijah. They're at the top of the mountain, very near the, like the concentrated presence of God. So it's like it's in this sense, the up in the center, that's the perfection. And the monster is the one that doesn't fit. It's the hybrid. So this, this sounds like they're, this kind of sets them up as like a being who can't approach God. But Jesus, Jesus is doing something interesting when he comes down to earth. He's literally coming down from heaven. So he descends. He, he, in his earthly ministry, he goes out to the edge of the world. And what I mean is he goes and he heals the monstrous people. So I think the most extreme way to see this is the, the demon-possessed. Like, these are the ones who absolutely yep. do not fit. The example par excellence is Legion, the guy who's possessed by a legion of demons. Jesus goes out to the edge of the kind of the, the, the land of the Judeans, goes out to this area populated with Greeks, the Decapolis. And in the, in the edge of the world, so in this sense, the edge of the world is the edge of the Jewish world. That would be like the edge of the cone, right? Right, the edge of the cone. In the center is the temple. So in the Jew, like you, can, you can do this at different scales. The entire world, the world of a people group. So in this sense... The world of a people, people group anchored at the temple. So Jesus goes out to the edge and beyond it. And he encounters a demon-possessed man. And he heals him. Drives out all the demons into pigs. And the pigs go all the way into the water and drown themselves. They literally they, they go into the flood and die. And he brings the man out. And the man is healed. And he becomes the father of Jesus. The man is still like, I mean... The people remember him for who he is. So he's still that kind of that strange guy in some way. So Jesus transforms him and heals him. 
and he welcomes him in at like as he is in that healed state. So I think Jesus is going out to the edge of the world and he's bringing in everybody. He's healing them and bringing them all into his world. In some sense, he's, he's making it a world where there are no monsters in a certain way. But he's also like not wiping out anyone's individuality. So in the, sense, in the way in which people are weird and different, and like in the good ways that they're weird and different, they stay like that. And the unredeemed society can still see those people as monsters. But they're, they, they work for Jesus now. They're his. So I think I think this is the way in which, since God is the center, in some sense, like he can't possibly be a monster. Yet, yet in his incarnation, he goes out to the edge, and associates with the monster, and is viewed as a monster himself. So, 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 so in that sense, he becomes monstrous. You can go further, like the crucifixion puts him outside outside Jerusalem, again, at the edge of the world, he becomes monstrous on the cross. After, like, depending on your, on your tradition, you may understand that Jesus descends into Hades. He goes to the bottom of the world. He becomes absolutely monstrous in a sense there. He becomes master of Hades. Then comes back all the way to the top and sits down above all principalities and powers. So there's that. One more thing I want to say is, for a person whose world is oriented anchored by a different god let's just say that god's world is this one pyramid but next to it is the world ruled by a demon from the center of that world looking out into god's world god is a monster because he's out beyond the edge of their world in their dark zone mm. so perspect perspectively for someone whose world is oriented under a god other than the most high god absolutely appears as a terrifying monster so in that sense he definitely is but i think that's that's perspectival in the most absolute sense i don't think god is a monster but that he he ultimately loves all the monsters and wants to bring them into his world yeah so that's that's the way i think about it interesting okay uh kellen can oh. you oh yeah go ahead uh, that to in my memory that seems um more similar to your point of view than mine so would you like to go next yeah sure um my perspective and this is something that i and i think all of us want to encourage greatly on just what soaring sheep is the dark attic the lamb's guild everything that's under the umbrella of soaring sheep what i'm about to say i think we will all be in agreement. my perspective has changed and grown and shifted from the first time we've had this conversation. And that's okay. <laughs> um, the fact that we're having these conversations and growing and learning different ways to view things and understand things um, is, is great. And so, yes, uh, Matthew's perspective is closer to mine, where from the outsider, the non-Christian, the you know, secular, whatever you want to use to describe people that don't follow the lamb, that don't follow God. Um, they view God as a monster. They look at him and they go, dang, this, this being is horrible. Like he is not in our frame of reference, like what Matthew was saying. And so everything that he does is viewed as bad. Uh, everything that they know, since it's outside of what we know is good, is bad and that's one way to view it and that's that's a partial view of what i hold and i think the other half is more similar to what uh you hold kellen is where within our own worldview in cone pyramid whatever way that you want to imagine it i think god also is still a monster he is the unusual he is the otherworldly he is the monstrous that you know, is outside of what we would view as safe. He brings an air of death and brings an air of finality. God being a monster is means that the rejected and the unusual and the disheveled in our own worldview, broken, unusual, they are accepted because God is their monster. And this perspective that we're trying to 
uh, Matthew and I are trying to describe of, well, there's this cone over here with God as the center. And that's the point, the anchor that everything stems from. And then you have this other cone that is looking outward and has is centered on something else, but is looking outside of that, you know, perspective realm of possibility and is looking beyond space and then into our realm of possibility. That doesn't actually exist. Both of those perspectives kind of overlap each other. They anchor each other. Uh, one is anchored within the other, I think. Instead of being separated, you'd have a bigger cone. And then within that bigger cone, like you have the circular base and you have a fixed point where God is. And everything that is under that shadow of that point is what we know as the known universe, right? And inside of that area, of that cone, there are a bunch of little anchors that other people fix to and hold to. And all of those anchors are within the realm of possibility that we view as God is the main anchor. Mm -hmm. But to other people where they anchor to things that make them feel good, that isn't anchored in line with God, now it seems to those people you are in a different perspective, even though you're still within the same cone. So no, that's really good. Um, just one thought. It's like thinking of the the like the giant cone of reality, the giant mountain, and the small mountains kind of inside of it. Mm -hmm. That that makes God being like if you're worshiping something a little bit lower than God, then God is like the super monster, like yeah. lurking <laughs> above everything else. And to those yeah. people, that's what that looks like. Mm. And so that's that perspective. Um, but likewise, I think that to the broken that are within the realm of possibility that is anchored to God, we cling to him and look to him because he is our monster. He looks at us and says, you guys are disheveled and rejected just like I was. And so I will bring death and I will bring judgment, not only for the Christians, but also the non-Christians too. They can look to God and find hope in him because he was disheveled and he was cast aside. And so by bringing death to that kind of judgment and despair, he brings life. Like death to death equals life. Like it's a double negative. I think that's my perspective. I think what you've been talking about right there is part of the reason why perspectives can be so damaging and be a cause mm -hmm. for um, guilt and shame and why there's so much injustice in the realm of having an unhealthy perspective because like one of the things about this podcast is that we're not going to talk about truth much because partly like truth is objective if if you ram your head into a rock, <laughs> the same thing is always going to happen. And what we're sort of getting at here, what both Matthew and Chaz are getting at, is this, this sort of like perspectival difference between God's, between God himself, God as, God as reality itself, versus our own attachments to perspectives that cause us to slam our heads against the rock of God. It's kind of like God's cone is the law of gravity. And when our cone causes us to be like, no, I can fly and we jump off a cliff. Well, we're going to fall and at the very least break our legs, maybe get paralyzed, maybe die. And that's, that's <laughs> why our perspective is so dangerous and so unjust and so to say it bluntly evil mm. and that that sort of segues into getting to my definition of monster because yes, my definition well, what yes i want to hear it because <laughs> my definition of monster um isn't real doesn't really rely on perspective it's it's much more focused on the thing that everyone already agrees with, which is monsters are dangerous. Well, mm -hmm. what does dangerous mean? 
monster a monster is a being that has the power to bring death and i feel like on some level we immediately think that like oh it it can bring death therefore it's bad oh yeah i i know when the first time you posted that that was my initial gut reaction and yet the thing is it's like why then do we have guns why do we have a government why do we give um soldiers the ability to kill and the thing is like god himself refers to government as his sword and there's a lot of injustice that the government brings so <laughs> that that those will be topics for future podcasts there's a lot of problems with our governments and our authorities and we're going to address that cuz like so so don't mistake us for saying that like oh government equals good it's or not government equals saying. bad like that's We'll get into that. We'll get into that. We're getting too passionate. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is that, like, there is a place to bring death. And death can be bad. Like, the ability to bring death can be very, very bad. But that's also why we need a good source of bringing death so that we can bring death to death. And that gets at my definition of monster, which is that a monster is powerful. A monster is dangerous. A monster is something with the ability to bring death. And the thing is that that affirms both the fact that there are monsters who need to die, but there are also monsters who need to live. Because what it's getting at is monsters kind of synonymous with holding a sword or holding a blade and the ability to cut. And the thing is, like, we need surgeons just as much as we need to, like, get rid of sociopathic serial killers. So with my definition of monster, and the reason why I can say God is, yes, absolutely a monster, is because it doesn't require us to have, it it doesn't require us to talk about perspectives because everyone already agrees that death exists and that there are beings that have the power to bring death. And when you look at monsters, whether that monster is supposed to represent the villain or whether that monster is, oh my God, literally, oh my God, it's God. <laughs> it's, it's an angel of righteousness showing up saying, hey, don't be afraid because, why is it saying that? Because um, um, it's scary and I just like fell on my face as if dead because I'm so terrified. It's like, Right, it has forehead and a zillion wings. And it's like, we could even get to Sigma males. Why is that such a thing that people are so like, yeah, that's so cool. It's power. We perceive power. We perceive the ability to bring death. And we're like, that is brilliant. I like that. It also terrifies the blank out of me. So that's why we have this reaction. That's why people love monsters whether it's a werewolf or harley quinn (laughs) Mm. like why is harley quinn why is uh that aesthetic so appealing to so many of us and i'm speaking for myself here it's like i think harley quinn is super cool but she's also kind of like desperately in need of jesus (laughs) (laughs) but like what if she came to jesus what would change and i feel like a lot of people misunderstand And they think that like, oh, she's this symbolic monster. And then once she comes to God, she'll be pure. So she won't be monstrous anymore. Well, that's not entirely true in my perspective. Wait, I just said the the P word. Oops. (laughs) It's not true on some fundamental level because. I have, I have a way of agreeing very vigorously with you. Okay. So. Okay. So go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll wait until you wrap up. Okay. Cause I, Because just, she is full of joy. Yeah, she's kind of psychotic. But, like, she's also actually full of joy. She also, like, she, she does what she wants. She's so free. Like, these are good attributes, but they're also kind of monstrous in their own right. Because it's like, we see someone who has so much joy and is so free, and it kind of makes us feel... It makes a lot of people feel scared because what it is, is it's reminding them that they're not free. Mm. They don't have joy and they 
don't like being reminded of that. Her monstrous attributes aren't just her ability to like wield the massive hammer and like shoot people and kill them. Like her monstrous attributes aren't just her sociopathic nature. It's also the fact that like her freedom and her joy brings death to boredom. Her freedom and her joy bring and if she were to like death to depression and my anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) And if she were to like translate that from the danger that is, you know, the powerful and the danger, like you were saying that all monsters have, it's more, it's not so much getting rid of that danger and that power. It's just directing it the right way. If I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah. And the thing is, the reason we love monsters, well, those who love monsters, the reason we love monsters is because we're seeing God. Mm-hmm. Like we're not like, yeah, we can definitely get into the conversation conversation of perspectives because that's important. But right now it's like, even when we ignore that question and we just focus on like what's fundamentally what we all agree on, we, the things we like about monsters are by and far actual attributes of God himself. Mm. The, the absolute joy and the total freedom. Like these are attributes of God. And like, that's all the devil does is he just takes attributes of God and then mixes it with attributes of nothingness. (laughs) Like that's really all he does is he just like removes good. And then like, all he does is he just like, he removes good. He uses the attributes of God to attack attributes of God. That's all he does. He doesn't invent anything new. If we like something, then on some fundamental level, what we're seeing is God. And it can be distorted, sure. But we're created in his, in his image. We're created to enjoy our father, our maker. And we enjoy anything while, yes, those that enjoyment can be distorted, on some fundamental level, we enjoy it because we are made to enjoy it. And now I'm sure somebody can immediately think of a counterexample, such as, or an apparent counterexample, such as, like, why do people enjoy um, executions? Like, that's not okay. Why does a sociopath enjoy killing people? Like, that's not okay. Well, sometimes we have to ask, like, are they really enjoying killing somebody? Or has the enemy mixed murder with something else that is actually good to enjoy? I think a really easy or precise example of this is the enjoyment of justice. It's like, why, why are we compelled to take revenge if murder is wrong? Why, why, like people say like, oh, you won't like revenge if you take it. That's not always true. Like sometimes in a lot of cases, yeah, if you try and take revenge, your life will just get worse. But usually that's because you're focusing on bitterness. But like there are cases where somebody takes revenge and they do actually feel better. Yeah, I mean. It's because there's a measure of like justice. We want justice to be done. And when justice is done, it gives us freedom. And that freedom from the injustice that was done to us causes laughter cause it's it's a delight and it's not that we're enjoying murder and it's not that we're enjoying death it's that we're finally being vindicated and set free the problem is that the the good thing of vindication and being set free is being intermixed with an evil thing and what we really need to do is we need to be able to separate the good monstrous attributes with the bad monstrous attributes because they're at odds with each other and the good monsters out attributes won't justify the bad ones. I, nothing I've said is an affirmation of revenge, leave vengeance in God's hands or let him raise you up into the position of a soldier <laughs> and let him give you the sword. If you're called to wield the sword, let him give it to you. Don't go take it for yourself. But at the same time, like we don't have to condemn ourselves for feeling anger, for desiring bloodshed. 
Because the fact is, there are things that deserve bloodshed. Yep. There's things that deserve that justice. It just, that justice and that tool needs to be, like you said, given by God first, not taken into our own hands, because then it's muddled and, uh, you know, ruined by our own desires, not God's plan and his desires. So what I wanted to sort of agree with Kellen on is this kind of mooring the idea of, of monster to that which is powerful. And I think that's like what's under dangerous, the ability to kill. Like the, I think that's the attractive thing about a character like Harlequin and even the Joker. It's like they're powerful. And with that, we can see that the way they're using power is to bring death into the world. But I think everyone intuitively knows that power is also the ability to reconfigure reality within, you know, within the constraints that are inherent, which means that it can easily be turned around to, you know, to create the world and make it beautiful. So it's like, so if, if we want to think about like power as being monstrous, then yeah, like a redeemed Harlequin is, is hopefully still very powerful and she becomes like a creator of beauty. You know, rather than kind of uh, a creator of, of chaos. So, yeah, I just, just wanted to affirm, affirm that, that that kind of monstrous power can be turned around into something very creative. And one of the things, one of the other things about her, just Harley Quinn again as an example, is on some level she's already being used to create beauty in the sense of the laughter and the uh, the freedom. Again, I think that's why we're so drawn to uh, sigma males. <laughs> and what is what is a sigma males. male? Like I I don't actually I've that's the first time I've heard the term. I don't know how to actually uh, define that in a short manner. We do, we don't have to. Just can you give <laughs> me like uh, uh, just an, ex- an example, just real oh, quick? Oh gosh. Um, Walter White from Breaking Bad. The idea he, of a, he's okay. the main character, right? Yeah, the idea <laughs> of a I just got it. The idea of a sigma male is you take an alpha male, but you turn him into a loner. So it's sort of this like alternate alpha, because an alpha male part of a definition of that is they get all the girls, whereas a sigma uh, male doesn't care about women. Okay, I I get it. So the, the the okay, so like the the alpha sits at the center and the world turns around him and the sigma is moving around the edge and is dominating the edge. Correct. And then like there's like an interaction between the two where they can actually flip over and so it change places. Correct. And but it's also like the sigma male can never be really the leader of right. the organization by definition. The only or kind of an organization he might be able to lead is like a mob. <laughs> yeah, because like he's he like in, inherently, like inherently outsider. Like he act like in power, he could sit at the center, but like in in style, he he can't. Right. Hmm. And also, I like, like the way he employs power is different. An alpha male is very charismatic and very sociable, whereas a sigma male, by definition, is more like that Harlequin kind of character who their charisma is not a sociable charisma. It's a, wow, look at their originality and like they're based. They're attractive because they're based. (laughs) They're attractive because they don't care. They're just like, they, they, they don't need nobody. (laughs) They're, they're attractive, not because they're good to you. They're attractive because you're like, wow, I wish I could have that kind of power. And I brought up Sigma males because like a lot of guys are attracted to both Sigma males and alpha males. And it's because like, even when it's like really toxic masculinity, there's also like a very like pleasurable like 
good masculinity there too, just in the mere freedom and exercising of power. Like the exercising of power period, even when it's used for um, evil, can be an enjoyable encounter when you're not, uh, you know, on the side of the victim. Like even if you disagree with the the villain, the villain often ends up being the favorite character for a lot of people because they're really cool. Why are they cool? Because <laughs> they're they are actually bringing something constructively beautiful in their skill and their form and their uh, use of power, even if in the end the manifestation or the end result of that use of power is very uh deconstructive in a bad way i i think this topic is sort of leading us into this idea of like should we be monsters what, what do you think Chaz? yeah i think so too um i think a sigma male is definitely a type of monster um i have some thoughts on the idea of sigma male that we can probably say for another time um a quick look into that is that i don't fully agree with the idea of sigma male there are portions of it that i that I think is good in other parts. I don't think so much, but we can save that for another time. But um, yeah, I think that that does move into, you know, like what you said, how, how should we be monsters? Um, do you want to go or do you want me to? Hey, if you're wound up and ready to go, have at it. <laughs> how, how we should be monsters. I think this ties into what we were talking about earlier about, harlequin of directing that monstrous power of judgment destruction retribution vengeance whatever else uh or even just the unusual the the marginalized the castaways the um I'm, i gave this example in the uh, last episode where monster to me was very much like the first thing that popped into my mind when i thought of monster is when a superhero saves somebody and they look at this display of power and destruction as they stop this truck from hitting them and isekaiing them into uh, an anime. And that person looks up at them, at this completely unscathed superhuman, and just goes, what are you? You, you monster! And runs away. Completely disregarded, they just stopped a semi-truck from killing you, but whatever. You just label them a monster. And... That, I think, goes into how we should be monsters. We should use that power and that destruction, that vengeance, the knowledge even. I think knowledge can be monstrous um, and use that in a way that is pleasing to God and that is helpful to our neighbors and neighbors being our enemies and our friends. So we should take that essence and use it in a way to you know promote the kingdom and further jesus and further relationships and rebuild what was broken like can you imagine somebody just like the, okay I, i'm saying this and as i'm thinking of it i'm thinking of um the movie with the magical house and the name is gone um it's not Monster House. It's just a recent Disney movie. Um, Encanto. Yes, thank you. Um, where, like, the sister is jacked, and she's, like, lifting up bridges <laughs> and, like, moving the street. Like, how amazing would that be if we could harvest that power of destruction and retribution and judgment to build bridges? Absolutely to look at the broken and go, I'm going to build a bridge to you. Look at the anime community. Look at the furry community. Look at the, um, the punk rock community, the neglected metalheads, and say, no, I'm going to use my power and my uh, station to extend a hand and be your friend and love you. And that, I think, you know, in, in the right way, I mean, you could take that burning passion for metal music and that, like, guttural screaming. Like, I used to not like, uh, like, screamo music. But you can take that love and that 
raw power and then show love to somebody who is into that. And from the pers- from the outside perspective, you look like a psychopath. You're like screaming and like <laughs> yelling from yeah. your throat in your diaphragm. And but to each other, you're like having this connection and you're having this like moment where you're like, you get me. And I think that's how we should be monsters. And I in the same token, is... okay. oh, oh, I was just going to answer the second half of that question that's over here is in what sense should we not be monsters? And that's just you know, the opposite. Like, don't use it for the non-loving and creation and building bridges and healing ways, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking of in terms of embracing otherness. Mm, yeah, if you're, that's, if you're, that's great. Yeah, if you're into Screamo, you're you're always gonna be the other into <laughs> the dominant society. Never gonna fit. Uh, but like, you know, Jesus owns the whole space. <laughs> He's re- he wants to redeem the whole space. So like, yeah, you just in, if you're out there at the edge of the world and you know, for whatever, like, it's not bad to be out there. It's like Jesus is filling up the world to its edge. If you are walking in His way, hey, like the edge of the world is where He wants you to be. And like embrace otherness, like for a world dominated by demons, Jesus Jesus is always the other. So it's like embrace it and like build something beautiful, do something beautiful out there. Well, even going back to that perspective that I had, I said the p word again. <laughs> um, the idea that I had given earlier in in the episode, where it's one big cone, the true cone, right, and within that you have all the other different anchors that look at things and call them God to any other anchor. You're just another anchor. <laughs> like when you're holding on to that and you're looking at the God anchor, you're like, Meh, it's just another anchor because you don't realize how powerful and dangerous and what that anchor holds. That's something to think about. Yeah. On the topic of uh, how are we supposed to be monsters? I've said a lot about the, the power of things but i want to bring it around to what matthew was talking about with the like being other being different because i think there's a lot of things that we don't typically think of as powerful that we do think of as monstrous and not necessarily in an evil way um it's like some people just have really unusual uncommon um tastes in art Mm -hmm. like you just like things that very few other people like and they look at you and like you're weird but the thing is like there's power in anything that is of god when you like something that's unique simply having the ability to be yourself to be authentic and to embrace who God made you to be and what he made you to like. And simply doing that, you are emitting power. And you may seem weak to a lot of the world. You may seem uncharismatic. You may just seem kind of lame. I feel like there are an attributes of monster where it's just like it's, it's the lame, scampery, weak-looking, weird, gray blob that scoots through the trees on the edge of the forest. <laughs> and Maybe a little gray slime. Yeah. But the thing is, like, even that kind of creature has power, and a specific kind of power that it has, or one of the specific kinds of power that it has is when somebody who's quote unquote more normal has been cast out and they're in the woods and they're struggling and they don't know what to do and they see you being yourself. Gosh, there's a meme here and I wish I could quote it verbatim. Something about like being comfortably myself, comfortably moist, doing my own thing. That sounds so gross. Exactly. It's just like completely moist. I don't like it. There are things God has made that are not gross to him that we look up and we're like, that's gross. Yeah. And the thing is, when you're one of those people and you can just be like, God doesn't think I'm gross. 
and you have that confidence, being able to express that confidence is very powerful Mm. to the point where Peter even says, like, don't be afraid of their fear for your confidence is a sure sign to them of their destruction. Thing is, when when you are that slimy, gray, weak, weird thing that's beautiful and just only God, <laughs> only God currently sees it as beautiful, but you can be confident that like this is who I am, then the people who aren't living the way God wants them to be on some deep innate subconscious automatic level they're going to look at you they're going to see your confidence and they're going to be destroyed and that's often why they attack you it's because they're scared they're scared of your confidence they look at you different and in one way like like you were saying somebody's strength and confidence will either encourage somebody else or they will make somebody else think of you as weird and it's like within the right group of people you're always you're not going to be weird but if you're around the wrong people like it's it's going you're going to be weird to them that doesn't mean the thing that you are is bad maybe you just gotta find a new part of the forest i mean let's be honest though when i'm when i'm around my really weird friends who are confident i actually am like you're weird and thank you (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of refreshing. It's like, right. Thank you for helping like renew my conscience. Yeah, My conscience has been violated by a world that causes me to look at my best friend and be like, you're weird and ugly. Mm. And being around that friend and just being able to like take a deep breath, look at him and be like, you're weird, but you're not ugly. Gives me like, it refreshes me like a drink of water because it's undoing the brainwashing that our devil ruled society has ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. I need my weird friends who I still recognize as weird. I need them to be confident. I need their power. I need their peace just so that I can like be around them and be like a Bucky and Wakanda, (laughs) like just existing in a safe environment so that I can undo my brainwashing. It's like the the confidence to be what you're called to be, regardless of you know what the prevailing um, what's the right word, what the prevailing culture wants to say. It's, I like the the, the con the confidence, <laughs> <laughs> the faithfulness to be what you're called to be. It's like confidence is the ability to confide. I think it just literally means with faith, hmm. like being with faith. Hmm. Oh, Yeah, it just means like just being what you're supposed to be. That's true, because confiding in someone means sharing something to them with the faith that it's going to be protected and you'll be kept safe. Yeah, and even if you if you go up to something with confidence, you're having faith in yourself. <laughs> yeah. Faith in yourself and faith in in your that God and your anchor. Yeah. Matthew, I want to hear your perspective on that. How should we or not be monsters? I think it's something I, I can add to to what you guys already said. So I think I think you've you've covered most of it. Okay. And no, yeah, it, just kind of the idea of believing quality of God's character, like trying to live in that. Just embracing what you are, what you're called to be. Like, like you don't. It's like the goal is to be a living monster, not a dying monster. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of all this difference. Like, being being embracing your otherness in in a life affirming way, like affirming your own life, and then also affirming, like making the world beautiful and living. It's like there's this way to bring be a monster and you're a death bringer. Mm. It's like not that. <laughs> that's that's what demonized people do. Or at least bring death to death. Yeah. Yeah. I I have two things that I want to say on that. The first is we should live our life in such a 
wholly monstrous way that when we die, our legacy is still monstrous. Hmm. Meaning our legacy has a great impact for the destruction of the enemy's kingdom and the life of our father's kingdom. Yeah. That our story yeah. to be told can still be weld, weld, wielded like a sword and still be used for its monstrous purpose like we intended it to. Hmm. I like that idea of like my history, my story being something that future generations can wield against the evil one. Yeah. That's like super affirming. I like that. I'm going to focus. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. We need to talk about saints in an episode. <laughs> that's yeah. That, that's definitely um, one. The, uh, the council of the 12 monsters. <laughs> I think of St. Patrick a lot in his, his legacy over Ireland. I think it's a good example. Oh, yes. Who, who's there are the more werewolf saint? Is it St. Matthew? Who, who's the werewolf saint? Oh, the dog-headed guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes he's just like a giant with a human face. But yeah, like he's, he's, always, he's always like a monster. That's St. <laughs> Christopher. I think like there's more than one St. Christopher, but this is like one of the St. Christopher's. That's like the St. Christopher. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. That's the original, <laughs> the original furry saint. So patron of furries. I mean, you, you mentioned it right at the end, Matthew. And I want to touch on it right before we, we finish off here. We have about 10, 15 minutes or so. And I want to try and, and address this question in the, in the time that we have. Um... I think it's a good way to end it because of how you ended your statement. For all of us, how does viewing God in this manner bring death to shame and guilt? And we've already kind of alluded it death to death, but um, let's let's dig into that for a bit. How do we bring death to shame and guilt with our viewing of God as monstrous? I I'm actually gonna punt to Kellen because I want to think about this for a second. Okay. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is um, seek confidence, mm. seek peace, seek joy, seek to just have fun. Yeah. Um, in in our Father, because really seeking a relationship with Jesus, seeking a relationship with our Maker and our Creator, is ultimately the way we're going to learn how to have fun, how to have peace, and how to grow in like. A, a pure unmixed confidence so mm. that we're not confident in um, something that's an origin of death. That's how I uh, currently sort of define like, what does it mean to be a fool or arrogant? It's misplaced confidence. That's a good it's, way to define it. It's having confidence in the wrong anchor in a demonic anchor mm. because anything outside of um, the two cones, any sort of origin of death. If we remain out there, if we're confident in that, well, in the end, it's like being confident that we can fly and jumping off a cliff. Yeah. And that's not confidence, that's just foolishness. Yeah. So seek confidence in the, the monster who created us through his son, Jesus through the slain lamb, through the resurrected lamb, the non-zombie lamb. <laughs> yeah. And seek the fun thing. Seek the bright thing. Seek his joy. Seek his rest. Seek to be able to just like lean back into his arms and breathe. Because that's where you're going to get all your power to bring death to origins of death. That's where you're going to be the beautiful parts of someone like Harley Quinn, who is full of brightness and color. And the, the world comes against you, and you can shrug it off with a laugh. <laughs> you can, you know, find that innocence, almost the childlike innocence of being at the foot of God, even as adults, uh, we can have that childlike innocence to be 
open before Jesus and and love the things that we love and not have to worry about guilt and shame because at the end of the day, we're just hanging out with our dad and doing the things we love for our dad. I have a daughter at home and she will often, you know, just be like, hey, dad, watch this. And she'll just do something completely silly. She'll play on her piano and make up a song or dance and draw me an octopus wearing cat ears. And <laughs> it's in every other context it's outside okay. of a child. If an adult did that, society would look at them, point and go, you're a weirdo. What are you doing? Why are you drawing these things and dancing unashamedly and playing music on a piano that doesn't make cohesive songs? Like, what are you doing? But before our father, we can play those songs and dance those dances and draw those images and have fun for the sake of fun of innocence with our dad. And when our God is a monster that uses his judgment to defend properly, defend his home, defend his children, but also allows his judgment and death to break down those walls so that all that's left is innocence, we can have that innocence and that childlikeness with whatever as long as we're not sinning. Yeah. I, I, don't that's the bad monstrous stuff. That's the Harlequin pieces that aren't good. The murder and the gun shooting people, <laughs> but the joy and the death to boredom parts, like that's amazing. And God redeems that. Amen. As I was thinking about this, the, the shame part was more obvious to me. The, the guilt part was harder. I, so I came back to the idea of, of otherness and as, as God as the the ultimate other. Another way to think about it is like the ultimate beyond, that which is beyond. And I think if you're... And we all are to some extent. It, when, when we're oriented toward another point of focus, let's say a, a, a small God, a lesser God, realizing that there is a beyond, a higher beyond, I think opens up the possibility to be free. You know, we're free of whatever is bringing you into guilt. Like, and I mean guilt in the real sense that you're actually guilty. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, like when you don't know that there's a beyond, then your guilt is normal. I think, no, I don't think anyone believes that, but like deep down, deep down in their gut. But the, the presence of the beyond, the monstrous beyond, is also the opportunity to move into it and to be free from wherever you are. So that's how I think about the guilt part. And then the shame part, you know, re realizing that you know, God came into the world in the incarnation and he went out to the edge of the world to the people who were shamed by their society. And he heals those people and he welcomes them. I, I think it's 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 easy to see how seeing God as the ultimate other, you know, the monster beyond is freeing from shame. It's like you're welcome. Like God God is just God is welcoming you. And no 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 amount of shame thrown on you can keep him away. Amen. That's Amen. that's awesome. Um uh, well there's a lot that we unpacked here. And there's a lot that boxes that we took down for a brief moment and peeked inside and we still need to unpack. So make sure you guys come back to the dark attic. But I want to kind of stick my hand into the, the portal that we have off on the side here and kind of pull from that, uh, from our, our audience that's listening. Uh, do you guys have any questions or something you'd like us to address? And we have a few minutes right before we close, and I just want to turn it over to our, I guess, live audience. The podcast listeners don't get it live, but if you're here in the Discord, you got it live. So any, anything you'd like us to, to address? If not, we'll close up. Bible says we should do a future episode about the Sigma male stuff. 
I actually I agree. agree. I think yeah. that would be really interesting because we could bring in a, the topic of just masculinity. Yes. And what's toxic masculinity, what's not. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the bad boy. <laughs> and you know, on that point, um, I look forward to having um, episodes about women mm. and like what's what's monstrous femininity and what's toxic femininity. Mori Mori is saying, question, who is the most Sigma out of you three? Oh, absolutely. Who radiates the Sigma song the most? Kellen, 100%. 100%. That, that was not even you. I saw that question and I was like, oh, easy. Got it. And then Matthew asked the question and I was like, yeah, there's no question. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh if only you could see how red my skin is turning my fur is standing Your on skin it. is already red <laughs> oh i accept it i mean i am the only one without a woman so i mean i don't that we'll talk about that in the in the episode you guys are gonna have to come back you guys are gonna have to come back if you want that second half Fufu says just quickly what are y'all's i'm gonna add the floor what are y'all's perspectives on recontextualizing terms oh boy i love it that's uh can one of you define what recontextualizing means here i think it's the same as redefining like redefinition taking things that our society is said is bad like monsters and putting it into a new redeemed context like that's that's my jam like i i love it I want to do that. It doesn't have to involve a redefining, but I, the way I would think of it as different from redefining, like recontextualizing would be, you know, take, taking a concept without changing its underlying definition, setting it against a background that helps you see it more clearly or, or differently. Yeah. I, I, uh, I also enjoy doing that. We should have an episode on language what it actually is, how it actually functions, and therefore how, sh how we should use it. Because that, <laughs> I just got a quick yes, okay, please. Yeah, um, just yes, please. Because that's, that's a big, 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 big thing on my heart. Because there's a lot of injustice simply because of language. And there's a lot of guilt and shame that's sourced in language and our lack of understanding how it functions so these are things that i definitely want to answer and we definitely will answer uh, but that will be an episode to itself it could be multiple episodes yeah, it could be a lot of fun yeah there's i listen to this podcast and one of the hosts always likes to say that the meaning of a word is how people use it mm. i think that yes yeah and just to throw it out there, my uh, to me, what matters is how a word is heard, but that includes the speaker, because the thing is, I feel like the speakers often get just the short end of the stick and get thrown under the bus, and they get isekai'd pretty quickly, because. <laughs> Because the thing is, the heart of the speaker needs to be honored. Just because the speaker was misheard, the speaker needs to be honored. But at the same time, like if a person miss if if a person mishears something, but they hear it in a way that does destroy them, that also needs to be honored. So it does get sticky, and it, it's something that like we need to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we should we could use isekai as a test case because like. I'm the person who doesn't understand, and then you and Kellen can. No, I'm, I'd rather um, Kellen, you and Chaz can communicate to me what that is. <laughs> communicate. Thank you all for hanging out with us in the dark attic. We appreciate you coming and hanging out either in the Discord or listening to the podcast when it's posted. We hope you found something that was edifying, encouraging, recontextualizing. Uh, we just hope you take took something from this conversation that you can be the best monster that uses those monstrous attributes for good. Um, if you want to find us, where can they find us, Matthew? You can find us in the places 
that you would expect to. That's all I'm going to say. That was uh, so helpful, Matthew. Thank you so much. <laughs> you're you're so for going cheap. Just come on. You know how to use the internet. <laughs> Some of them might be new to the internet or to podcasts. Yeah, if you if you guys want to find us, you know where to find us. Um, links are floating around on all of our social medias. Description of this podcast. Uh, you can answer us through a perpendicularity pigeon. Don't know if you have access to that, but if you do, I'd love to see it. Um, otherwise, we hope you enjoyed your time. Thank you for hanging out in the dark attic. See you guys. Bye, friends. Bye.